Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with all different kinds of executives and personalities and athletes and students and faculty of the Columbia program, and we do that. We try to do that together, me and Joe, my partner. We try. Uh, we've had some trouble the last couple months. But so it's a new, you know, the Hopefully summer, you guys are enjoying the solo yeah. Joe Favorito podcast. We've got, we've got to split up over the summer. But yeah. Now the team is back together. The team is back. And we're back in our home field. Studio, whatever Lew- this is. Lewis and Hall on, on campus. Um, anyway, we're pleased to have a guest today that um, many in the industry know from his different experiences in the business. But we're pleased to have him um, at Columbia now. So, um we're welcoming Grant Sun to the show. Grant, it's good to have you. Thanks for having me. So Grant just officially joined the faculty of the sports management program uh, first of the year, I believe, back in January. The new full-time recruits that Scott brought in, Len Elmore. That's right. Grant. So that's part of the Scott Rosner, Len Elmore uh, trio. The, the tree. We'll yeah, call it the, the tree. tree. Um, and, and, um, and they have combined NBA experience of like 12 years between all three of them. So, <laughs> that's one way to so, look at it. Yeah. Um, but what's funny for me and my connection to Grant is that we first met at the National Football League more than <clears throat> 20 years ago. It was in the mid-1990s when Grant was in the marketing department here. We'll hear more about that. And I was running publishing. We're both low draft choices. Yeah, <laughs> low draft choices <laughs> in the big league back in the day that featured a lot of luminaries uh, who have gone on to fame and fortune. That was Tagliabue? Uh, that was Tagliabue's yeah. commissioner. And uh, we had murderer's row of uh, sports industry folks at the time. So Don Garber and Steve Phelps and Gary Jacobus and Schwabel and Frank Vuno, Jim Connolly, Howard Handler. It was a really interesting time. So, so Grant and I actually, Levinson, I still see Sarah. yeah, and Sarah Levinson came in as our president uh, at that time. Anyway, so uh, we have there's a lot of history here. So, Grant, why don't we actually delve into that history a little bit? Let's hear about your story, how you got into the business. I know you started at Time Inc. I think Time Inc. Right. But uh, tell tell about your tell us about your background and how you kind of made your way into the sports business and your journey through the business. And then we'll get into a little bit about what you're doing now. Sure. Thanks. Uh, so I'm with the. University of Pennsylvania as an undergrad, um, worked at the Daily Pennsylvania selling ad space. Wow. Uh, thought I'd be ad the, sales. Yeah. Ad <laughs> sales in a newspaper, by the way, for people who are listening. So. Daily newspaper. Yeah. Um, Had to give so out the specs for the ads, right? Yeah, carried around the car and everywhere <laughs> yeah. I went for the local the pizza shop and right. the bars. And, Smokey uh, Joe's. It was yep. ad sold to Smokey yep. Joe's. Absolutely. Uh, local pizza places, anywhere mm-hmm. that... Um, that might be interested in advertising to Penn students. Uh, so I did that, and uh, actually my senior year in college, I, wor- I, I got an internship to work at Young and Rubicam. At that time, was the world's largest ad agency. So I said, great, I'm going to advertising. Got this great summer gig. Um, interesting experience. Uh, was working on um, Merrill Lynch account. And at that time, Merrill Lynch was a big advertiser, especially Monday Night Football. We're in the bull walk here, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, we, we always remember. And during that summer, uh, Merrill Lynch decided to stop all advertising, right? So they <laughs> went to zero. And That's uh, tough when you're working at their ad agency, I guess. Well, and, yeah. th- and then so. I watched <laughs> both people's careers because they were then wondering, well, wh- what am I going to do now, now that we're billing them zero, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that was sort of a realization for me. I said, hmm, I noticed the folks at Merrill Lynch still had jobs, right? The marketing <laughs> folks, they still had jobs. <laughs> but the advertising side, <laughs> not so much. So I said, I think I'm going to be on the client side. 
Uh, and I was also very, very interested in, in media. So I had an opportunity to work at Time Incorporated. So your great pen career, undergraduate career, paid off in a business decision, saying that you're <laughs> going to go to a place that actually makes money. Right, yeah. right. And it did at that time. Um, so Time Inc. was uh, a great place to start, and at that time known as Paradise Publishing. Uh, my first gig was actually at Fortune magazine. So I had an opportunity to work at um, uh, Fortune, where Marshall Loeb was managing editor. Uh, then worked uh, on Life Magazine, which wow. some of us remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> Life Magazine, and then spent most of the time at Sports Illustrated, uh, where I worked on the subscription marketing side and also um, launched the sports catalog uh, business for, for Sports Illustrated. Uh, terrific experience so far as understanding uh, how to acquire customers, uh, audience, audience development, and also lifetime value, uh, which are things that continue uh, through my um, sort of my arc. Um, and also, I had the opportunity after that <coughs> to go to Columbia Business School. So I went to business school here. Uh, really enjoyed uh, that experience. Uh, after business school, I uh, landed at the NFL. Uh, and it was a wonderful time, 1990s. Um, yeah. E-commerce was like, what's that? Uh, <laughs> right. And then people questioned. You were worried about the catalog, as I recall. Right. Oh, yeah. Because the catalog, people understood. It's tangible, physical. I understand right. this catalog. Right. But this internet, I'm not so sure. And I remember people telling us in the right. building, no one's ever going to give you a credit card. Right. Uh, right? That's funny. Like, no one's ever going to give you a credit card. Right. Um, at that point, Amazon was only selling books. Right. No and, one knew and, what and was no coming. Were, and, right, and, and I always like to show my entrepreneurship class what Amazon even looked like in the 90s. And it right. was mm. nothing right. Right. <laughs> like, like right. what it does today. And I, and I, and I, I would put up their, uh, an image of their first website. So would you actually give your credit card to this, <laughs> this company what they look like right now? You probably wouldn't. Um, That's funny. But the e-commerce business was interesting. Um, in that, but the, the, it was really riding on the back of the NFL's um, a retail business, which was incredibly robust. Yeah. The licensed business, incredibly robust. Right. So we were still very early. Uh, what I did appreciate was, that, you know, the Sarah and Howard's uh, being very open to sort of this concept and allowing us to invest in the space, which now they do incredibly well. But I can remember doing uh, a certain number up through the, the regular season up until holiday, right? We had mm-hmm. the different seasons in right. the NFL. Uh, we, we would do one number through holiday, so let's call it X. <clears throat> and during holiday, we would do another X. So we would do, in the first four months, X number of dollars. And then for four weeks, we do the same number. Right. And then we had Super Bowl. Right. Right, so we had three seasons. Right? Yeah. We had three retail seasons. And then we would do X. So effectively, we do three X uh, in, the, in the year, but the volatility was huge, right? I mean, with a spike at the end. Uh, so you're really just ramping up for mm-hmm. holiday and then Super Bowl. And that was a big sort of learning experience um, and very worthwhile. Um, I also had the opportunity to work on the first NFL database and start the first database of NFL fans. And working with uh, our sponsorship group was wonderful. A lot of the folks you mentioned were in the sponsorship group. And to be able to work with our our roster of partners, back then it was Sprint, MBNA, DirecTV, Mm -hmm. and also the clubs. Even the clubs back then were very, very interested in database marketing and and Hmm. knowing who their... Uh, customers were. I remember working with uh, Len uh, Kamaraski at the Eagles. Right, right? sure. And moved on. Uh, he, he was very, very interested uh, in trying to figure out, well, we know who our uh, season ticket holders are, right? But we don't actually know who sits in the seats, mm-hmm. right? It, it may be into the name of Tom Richardson, uh, but 
does Tom sit in those seats? Right. Or is it a company? We don't even know right. who sits in the seats and how often because we want to market to these people. And that was really uh, the, the catalyst, right? And the big push was club, the NFL, the league, and then clubs like the Eagles and folks like Len who really wanted to get behind and push this initiative. Uh, and even uh, and now to this day when I do go back to the league and talk to the folks uh, about sort of the progress they've made and, it, and it's just a, it's amazing where the NFL and the other leagues are right? and they yeah. still say they don't know who's sitting in the seats but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well at least they're better at marketing to right. Them, yeah. right which is really what they want it's like how, do I, how can I monetize mm-hmm. um, all, all these uh, rear ends that we put in the seats and all these fans that are sitting at home so they're, they're much better at that now uh, so that was my experience at the NFL, and that was in the 90s when the Internet um, was just taking off. Uh, I had this really wonderful, unique opportunity to uh, become CEO of a startup company, actually based out of Boston, and co- Boston covering high school sports, called School Sports. Hmm. Uh, we got very, very lucky in a short period of time. Um, we grew to become a top 10 sports website. Uh, we were the number two digital brand for Teen Boys. WWE was number one. We were number two wow. digital brand for teen girls, uh, a company called Alloy. Uh, yeah. At that time, was number one. That's right. We had partnerships with, um, let's see, ESPN, um, Westwood One, and NBC, just to name a few, and AOL. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. All right, yeah. little days. Um, back then, uh, some of the uh, audience might not realize what AOL is today. As I told my class the other day, Grant, we used to be a top five sports website. (laughs) Called America Online. When I was there, it went downhill after I left. (laughs) Uh, We were one of the few companies ever to do a deal across three different AOL platforms. We were across AOL Teens, AOL Sports, and AOL Digital Cities. And what was the content? High school sports. So it was all high school sports, but not video at that point. Right. Uh, So video was was available, but uh, not not really viable. Mm -hmm. Um, we did stuff in the video space, though. Um, so um, we, we were, it, it was a unique uh, market in that it was sort of the, the Wild West, right? So professional sports, well covered, at least you know, in North America. Uh, college sports, well covered, at least the major sports. High school sports, no one could figure out because it's so fragmented. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, uh, and it's uh, appreciated very differently in the Northeast versus uh, in Texas and the, yep. the, the West Coast. But we sort of figured out the B2B model and the B2C model. Uh, we got, again, very lucky very early, uh, very successful. Um, I remember when we first started out, so our mission was to be in every high school. So we had a, uh, an enterprise software platform where we allowed high schools to create their sports websites using mm-hmm. our platform. We had the city of Boston, we had the New York City school system using our platform to publish their sports website. Because back then, you would hire some sports, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, a tech person, right. right, and pay them money yeah. to create a website that was pretty inferior. People didn't know what a platform right. was back then. <laughs> right. 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 And we created these platforms that school could use for free, right? Yeah. So that was revolutionary at yeah. the time. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, early investors thought, uh, you're going to have a hard time because, you know, these, these folks are very slow to act. But, you know, we had major school systems uh, jumping on very, very quickly. Um, so that was on one side. And the other side is we created content so that folks could publish. We call them their school sports locker, right? And, and the, the premise was that a high school kid um, will not hesitate to brag about themselves, right? They will easily load their photos, uh, articles if they had them, pictures if they had them. Mm-hmm. Back then, video, not really you know, that abundant, but th- you always want to see your name in lights, right? 
And then we had what ESPN called um, professional content. So we had folks um, across the country covering high school sports. We started in three markets uh, where we did a seed round of funding. Uh, then we went to t 10 markets. We raised uh, Series A funding, uh, then Series B funding, uh, uh, funded our expansion to 20, 20 some markets, 26 markets. Then do a, a C round of funding that cover, uh, expanded us to 40 markets. So uh, one and the other uh, interesting um, part of this is the whole fundraising side, which I think we could do a whole different show. No. <laughs> I was very, very fortunate to be a CEO to do three rounds of funding after a seed round. So uh, very, very few CEOs no. actually. Back on that day, funds. making it to B or C was right. a big deal. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, but again, we got lucky in a short period of time. I remember going meeting with uh, Coca-Cola uh, at the time, and and pitching them, saying we're going to be in every high school in the United States. And and most people doubt you, right? Yeah. But I remember the woman at Coca-Cola said, well, "You're going to put Coca-Cola in every single high school in the United States." She said, "I, I don't need a purchase order. I'm going to write you a check." Just how big do you want this check to be? Wow. Right. And I was like, well, that was motivated. <laughs> and that happens every day. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, but, so. And they didn't do much print at all. I think we were the, may have been the only place they did print and digital, right? And digital was nascent back then. No one did digital. Right. right? Like, what do we do here? Right. Uh, but they were very interested in what we were doing. So we, we were very, very uh, uh, grateful for that. Um, I also took a lot of flights. I actually was sharing my class last night. I uh, average, uh, see, the first two years, over 250 flights, right? So yeah. I averaged three flights a week. Um, so effectively, I had my go bag, and it was like, well, what city am I going to next? And I had people in the office say, well, we got to go sell the Gatorade, Nike, Coke, McDonald's. I said, okay, what else we got? We got to raise money. We got venture capital meetings in Seattle, uh, San Francisco, you know, Los Angeles. We're going to hit the West Coast. And I said, all right, I'm always going to prioritize meetings with folks whose money I can take and don't have to pay them back. Right? <laughs> so VCs get a lower priority. The priority goes to Nike, Gatorade, Coke, McDonald's because I take their money and I don't have to pay them back. <laughs> How many people were working with you at that point? Um, so through a series. I mean, when we start, when we first started, it was like three, four, five wow. of us. Um, quickly grew to 20-some, 40-some, 70-some. Uh, we had a base in Boston, New York City presence, mainly, mainly for selling and advertising. But we had a presence, a physical presence, in at least 10 other cities. And, then, and where did the original idea come from? Uh, so uh, the founder of the company, um, Jonathan Siegel, who actually still lives in Boston, uh, and still is the caretaker of some of the programs that we either uh, were the catalyst for or we created, like um, Gatorade's Player of the Month, Player of the Year program. He still actually is in mm -hmm. that space. Um, so that was the original uh, sort of the, uh, the thought, uh, but putting that interest and then in the business model was the key. Mm -hmm. Right. So the key was really that how could we make this into a, a viable business and how could we scale? Where we got very, very lucky was working, finding folks like Westwood One. So we worked with Westwood One. We created a high school sports TV show in 26 markets. So I think in New York it was on like early Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. But some other markets it was like, you know, prime time. Um, we worked with uh, NBC. Uh, we did deal with their O&Os uh, where every, in every one of their markets. So for example, Channel 4, Bruce Beck. Every yep. day, got on and presented a different school sports athlete of the day. Yep, I remember that. Right. And so they would call us and they are in our offices and say, All right, we, you gave us a boy on Long Island yesterday. Now we need a girl in New Jersey. Right? <laughs> so we had all this Very content. scientific. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, we had all this content, right? And so it's really a matter of, all right, how do we get more eyeballs towards it, right? right? So we had this cost base. It was really like, how can I sell this to different people in different forms? Again, very fortunate in the business model that 
NBC use it in one way, Westwood One used it in a different way. ESPN was really interested in our rankings. So we would rank every sport, every state, you know, every player, every position. And that's what we, they really wanted. So everyone wanted our content and sort of different view. Mm-hmm. And they also were very helpful in us, uh, ha- uh, figuring mm-hmm. out how to monetize it. And even our written content, our top-down content, uh, Ticketmaster City Search w- w- was, was using it to try to drive s- their sales. So well, we got very fortunate in, in, in figuring out that business model. Um, so, I mean, I um, can tell you other stories about that. So how um, many years did you do that? Uh, just a few years. Okay. Yeah, wow. Just a few years. And then uh, the business was acquired by ESPN. Okay. Got it. And they renamed it ESPN Rise. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Right. Okay. Right Which now. still exists. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and then what did you do after that? <laughs> in some form. Uh, after that, uh, I wanted, I became the assistant director of transportation for my kids. That's a good job. <laughs> That's, you know what? And talk about a startup job. There's literally a startup job. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, that lasted a little while. Uh, got tired of that. Um, did some things here and there. Um, very, very, some more eventful than others. I think the most exciting opportunity was when Columbia Business School reached out to me and they said, hey, uh, we want to launch entrepreneurship here. Uh, we looked at our database of Columbia Business School grads who have been CEO of Successful Digital Venture and Lisa Tiny. Can you help us out? I said, sure. Uh, very involved. See, but they should have said there's a massive list and we would like you. Yeah, so, <laughs> really, so that would have been well, a better pitch. And by <laughs> the way, would you like to contribute to the right. alumni right. fund? Right. Well, for that they always ask me. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. And I always get asked. Um, so became involved here in uh, sort of a mentorship role that sort of uh, morphed into teaching. Uh, I also got involved uh, in other ecosystems so far as mentorship. So at uh, Penn Wharton, uh, served as entrepreneurial residence there, and also entrepreneurial residence for their social impact initiative, you know, other programs, uh, including uh, Johns Hopkins, Princeton. Um, I also started Greater Good Ventures, uh, which was my foray into uh, not just investing in startups, but also working with social impact ventures. Actually, we did a lot of consulting with charities and not-for-profits early mm-hmm. on. Um, so that's uh, one of the balls that I juggle in, <clears throat> in the air. Um, and then getting more involved back to schools, involved into uh, the teaching, and also uh, some consulting. So um, uh, one of my consulting clients, the largest uh, and longstanding, is Cornell University, where I serve as a venture consultant to startups at a Cornell and Cornell Tech. Uh, through their uh, uh, through their entrepreneurship arm, and then teaching here. Uh, so I started teaching at the business school about three years ago. So I created and taught their business. Uh, I'm sorry, their sports marketing class uh, for them, uh, which I taught twice at Yale School of Management, so Yale's business school last year. Uh, and for Yale last year, I also created an entrepreneurial marketing class, which I taught in the fall. And for Columbia here, our program, mm-hmm. I created their entrepreneurship class, which I taught for this, for six times now. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of teaching, sort of ad hoc, pulling it all together, and formally uh, came on board in a full-time capacity uh, to our program here at Sports Management uh, in January of this year. So you're only missing Dartmouth, Brown, and... <laughs> Too cold. Dartmouth, Brown, and <laughs> one other one that we're missing. Harvard. Those are the only three, right? Oh, so I think... Uh, with and Princeton. So there's four. No, you mentioned oh, no, Princeton. Princeton. Okay. Princeton. Okay. Uh, right. Sorry. So Harvard, <clears throat> I can tell you that... Dartmouth, um, one of the things I've gotten in, so I teach using the case study method, right? Mm-hmm. So I was uh, taking uh, classes at Penn uh, Wharton as an undergrad, learned exposed to the case study method. Uh, Columbia Business School, heavily case study method based. So I'm sort of brought up with that. Uh, was very, very comfortable teaching in that method. 
which is very interesting for students. Is one of the uh, sure. first things you got to tell them is that you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, yep. right? Because the, the the cases are written like a Hollywood script, right? So, so the protagonist, the main character, right, and the main character is confronted with a problem and issue and has to decide A, B, or C. They're conflicted. What should they do, right? And uh, the case writer doesn't give you all the information, right? Some of it's intentionally perhaps held back so that you could try to struggle and figure out either yourself or with a small a study group uh, possible scenarios. Uh, became very interested in teach uh, using that method and then also became very interested in creating case studies. Uh, not uh, for one just uh, for the academic uh, perspective and the experience, but also uh, from a teaching perspective, you guys know in our program, there's, uh, there's not a deep roster of teaching material. Mm -hmm. right? So the mindset is then I'll create my own teaching material. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, collaborating right now with a, a professor at Harvard Business School who teaches um, their core uh, strategy class, um, Andy Wu, um, on one current uh, case study uh, and possibly hopefully another one or two uh, shortly thereafter. So very excited. Uh, one of them I hope to be teaching um, this fall in my two classes and uh, going forward could be the basis of a, 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 an entire course. So, so Grant, could you give some, some examples of the yeah. companies from the, the case studies sure. as, in the sports biz? Like that you'd use here or are using here if um, you're able to talk about it? Yeah, well, we'll refrain from um, specific, so okay. I'll, I'll sort of decline that because the client has signed off on the first draft, but until you have a final sign off. No, I meant some that you've already done, not the new ones. Uh, well, that the, are this so, uh, sort of, uh, what I'm representing is sort of what's in the pipeline, so nothing okay. has been officially right. published yet. But hopefully, if, if I'm halfway successful, I'll not come. But it, ones you've well, done previously that are essentially. Oh, this will be the first. Yeah, this oh, will be wow. the first. Okay, okay, I didn't realize that. Right. Okay. Right. This will be the first that I No, but the ones that you use for other old classes. Oh, oh okay. So, yeah. um, I mean, look, an example, let's say, yeah. from the last 10 years of, in the sports oh, uh, business. Well, uh, so there really aren't. Um, okay, so for the sports business, uh, in the sports marketing space, uh, there, there's several that I use. So, right this semester, I'm teaching a sports marketing class. So, it's the same one, similar one that I taught at the business school here at Columbia and also at Yale, um, adapted for our program. Um, and it's a, it's a series of cases that include, uh, so last night was a case on the NFL and a case on Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. So I take what's available, and if you ever look back, the last cases for each of those uh, leagues are fairly dated, mm -hmm. right? So it's mm -hmm. really, so you sort of have to shapeshift the conversation, right? right. So it's really about business models, right? right. So you, you understand how MLB makes their money, and you look at it um, with the same, similar type of framework for how the NFL makes their money. Right, but that leads to really the discussion about power and parity. Right, so you look at Major League Baseball, which is really decentralized. Right, powers uh, the revenue comes mainly through the clubs, mm -hmm. so the power rests mainly through the clubs. The different mindset and role that the commissioner has. Right, and then we talked about the importance of Major League Baseball launching BAM, their digital initiative. Right, and why it was so critical. Right, for the commissioner's office to be able to take uh, hold of new technology, which is also a new opportunity and critical to, to strategic development of their media, right, going forward, and how that was a huge win for them, right. and why it was so important. Right. Then you look at the NFL, and their business model, which is mainly centralized, right, so the league office uh, brings in more money than the clubs bring in, 
and it has a much more powerful sort of um, uh, central base uh, if you can versus some of the other leagues, and you can mm. put the, all the leagues on a continuum, right? And so, the, what does that mean for you know, Roger Goodell um, or the commissioner going forward? So next week we'll talk about the other side of it, which is um, you know how does uh, a commissioner uh, for the uh, for the NFL use that to their benefit or their detriment. So next week we'll study, there's actually a case study on deflate game. Right? So most wow. students are like, what? Right? <laughs> so we'll actually, next week we'll cover deflate game. Right. right? So and part of it is... Also, from a marketing standpoint or a kind of communications PR standpoint? Right, actually from, so I, I teach it from a strategy okay. standpoint, right? Okay. So I talk about stakeholders. Okay. Right? So we talk about deflate game, and students always get excited about, you know, Tom Brady, we love Tom Brady. We hate the Patriots, right? <laughs> so you get to be on this sort of the so you let them release that energy first, <laughs> right. right? And then you get down to sort of what, what is let's this break really it about, down, yeah. Right? What is this really about? What happened? You know, why is is was he breaking the rule? Was he not breaking the rule? Does that even matter? Right. Right. And what's the commissioner's role? Right. You know, who are who are his? Who does he really answer to? Because we just built him up the previous week. He yep. said he's so powerful, right? He controls all the revenue. But who does he really report to? And what's his role? Who are the stakeholders when we refer to the NFL, right? right? And who does he answer to? And how how would we behave knowing that? So right. So then we set up the framework. You fill in a lot of the spaces. Then we say, all right, now what would we do going forward, knowing all that, right? And then so do the students understand. All right, now I know you get perspective why things don't one quickly happen at some of these firms or leagues, right, or teams, and that consideration is given to stakeholders. So mm-hmm. so that's so that's. Um, pieces from last night and next week. Uh, going forward, there's uh, there's a good amount, not a deep roster of other case studies. Like, for example, when we, uh, I'll cover athletes really under the uh, auspices of sort of branding, right? So branding of leagues, branding of teams, branding of athletes, and we'll go, there's a, uh, actually two cases, uh, an A and B on Maria Sharapova, hmm. and there's a um, LeBron James case study also, right? Wow. So it's, it's interesting because the case studies are about, uh, happen uh, at, at about the same time, but two completely different athletes, two mm-hmm. completely different story arcs, right? right? So we talk about both the personal stories in that arc and also the business behind each one of them, right? Uh, and that's where the, the realization comes in, which I think the students benefit from, from being in classes, sort of saying, wow, right? Uh, look at the similarities in the business and look at the differences in the personality. Right. And then it also leads to uh, a lot of opportunities for further discussion about other athletes. Or let's look at other NBA players. All right, let's look at other female athletes. Right? Is it different for male athletes versus mm-hmm. female athletes? Mm-hmm. Is it different for sports versus uh, you know individual sports, team sports versus individual sports? So, in the case of the entrepreneurship classes, are yeah. are you picking up that uh, kind of case study theme? Yes. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to teaching them how to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, so, yeah, I want to be so clear about those. Yeah, so yeah. you can't really teach them how to be entrepreneurs. Right. You, can, you can have courses on entrepreneurship. Right. And, and you're really sharing life lessons, right? right. Um, and every course I teach is, I mean, I tell the students that yesterday, I'll tell them for my class on Monday. It's really about teaching framework, right? Framework, framework, framework. So that it provides you the ability to then, going forward, figure out what is unknown, right? right. Based upon what you've uh, known uh, and, and, uh, that works before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's a, there's case studies on uh, one of the case studies I, I actually like to start with was Amazon and it's called Amazon Brink of Bankruptcy, right? So most of the students are like, what yeah. Brink of Bankruptcy? Yeah. You know, they're the most successful. They're company a trillion in the world. dollar company right, now. Right, right. 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 What do you mean Brink of Bankruptcy? And I, so the, it's all about uh, put yourself actually not in the role of Jeff Bezos but in the role of his board, right? 
So you're sitting on the board, and this guy has failed. He's miserably, he's been, fa- he's failed miserably. What would you do? So you got to get students over that shock for a second. Right. He's a god. Right? <laughs> what do you mean he's, he owns everything in the world, right? Okay. Richest guy in the world. Right, right, yeah. right. Then you can sort of have to bring him back. This is one of the, the advantages of, of a case study, right? All right. Because they don't know about him at that point in time, it's nice to sort of bring them back. Right. That's right. Now, if you were you know, in 2002, this is what you had to look. How would you evaluate him now? Right. right? How would you evaluate him as an entrepreneur? How would you uh, rate him as an operating manager? And mm-hmm. so most students would rate him high as an entrepreneur, but an operating manager, that's where the conversation comes into play. Mm-hmm. He was he was still good. Look, you know, no, he was terrible. Like, look at all the mistakes he made. So right. this is very interesting. Right, but what about the the issue of entrepreneurship in the digital age, which seems to have accelerated in terms of um, success or failure, as opposed to traditional, the traditional business cycle from when we were younger, right. you know, the latter part of the 20th century, it took companies oftentimes decades to succeed. Yes, yeah. And, and boards and yeah. investors had patience for that, yeah. and that kind of changed drastically, didn't it? Right. So right. talk about that for a second, yeah, as, as you related to the classes. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, um, a couple of cases I really always share with uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, if they take the class or not, um, you know, uh, one is Dropbox, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the story of Dropbox, one, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Drew Houston uh, couldn't even find a co-founder, right? Um, in, in, in the story, in, in, in 10 years, uh, what's happened to someone who couldn't even fill out an application to uh, uh, Y Combinator, right? And, find a co- and couldn't even find a co-founder. Uh, was interesting to see his uh, early struggles, but he, he's a brilliant engineer, right? MIT grad, uh, had experienced a problem, created a solution. Uh, but sort of the brilliance in the case study and his early stage uh, development was in creating in a what we call a minimum viable prototype, right? Something that you can put in front of a customer, right? That because a lot of the students are always quick to like, how much do I spend in technology? Who do I hire to build this thing? I'm like, well, what's this thing? Right. right. What are the benefits, right, that you're trying to, to create, and what and what are the features that mm-hmm. you're really going to build, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Dropbox is a great uh, example of that because he, he waited on all that, right, and he did all this testing with customers before writing a line of code. And this is an, a brilliant engineer, mm-hmm. right? And the other piece is the marketing piece where he was really good at trying to figure out um, Plan B, right? So his Plan A to marketing didn't work. So he went to plan B and plan C, and he's worked that for the past 10 years. And the, and the other part is yeah. uh, I love the freemium model. So, right, yeah. coming from the mm-hmm. circulation mm-hmm. subscription model business, the freemium model, right, where 95% of your customers don't pay, right, right. and 5% pay and, and a significant amount, and they fund the, uh, the platform for the others. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Dropbox because one of the books that we read in our class is um, Growth Hacker Marketing by yeah. Ryan Holiday. And, and they talk about a lot of the successful businesses that essentially been growth hacked, and Dropbox is one of the examples yeah. Yeah. about yeah. how you're iterating on the product itself right. based on the feedback and usage of the customers right. Right. to improve it, yeah. not just spending putting more marketing dollars against you know, right. user acquisition. I also like to use the, the Dropbox case when people ask about competition. So, and one of the quest, first questions I ask you know, in the class is, how many people use Dropbox? Everyone raises their hand. Right? Then I ask, so when Dropbox was founded, how many competitors did they have? Who else existed in the space? And usually there's some hesitation, but the, most of the folks raise their hand and say, no one. They were first and foremost, they dominated the space. Mm-hmm. They've always been number one. 
And then you, you, know, you share with him, actually with Drew's statement, he, he says, no, there are 80 companies right, in the space. Because that's why I struggled with getting funding. I couldn't right. raise money. Because people say, well, you're going against Apple, Microsoft, Google, right. uh, Cisco. Everyone is in this space. 80 companies, right? right? right. And they can write a big check just to stomp you. Right. Right. And he's like, yeah, but how many do you use? Which one do you use? Yeah. He's like, well, we don't use any of them. Right. And then why is that? Yeah. And he, he uses some colorful language, but he says basically because <laughs> they don't work. Right. <coughs> he goes, you know, Dropbox works. That's the difference between us and them. We actually work. Yeah, yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> um, Grant, talk about some of the companies that you're watching from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, especially in the sports space now, not maybe ones you're doing case studies on, but companies that you have your eye on? Oh, so, so, uh, so several. Um, one of them that um, I've been working with recently is uh, Daily Bracket. So it's the Daily Fantasy Sports app, right? So a lot more interest in the Daily Fantasy space now that um, gambling has become, uh, uh, the, the barriers are much lower now. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a very interesting space. Um, and um, I think they've got an interesting business opportunity going forward. Uh, the, the others that I've so they have a consumer application in the market yeah, around? Yes, okay. Yeah. Nice. They have a consumer app um, that they're, they've had some success with in the past. Um, and I think now with the opportunity with gambling being uh, a bigger opportunity, the, the wagering piece, they, they don't engage in wagering, but the opportunity exists where it's basically the roof is higher now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. now your upside is higher. Right. Uh, so that represents an, an interesting part. Now, I also think that uh, fantasy uh, going forward and the the opportunity potentially for wagering uh, is going to increase uh, interest on behalf of mm -hmm. uh, fans. Mm -hmm. right? So you might get more casual fans interested or betters who right. want to watch the end of the game just to see if they made a dollar or not. Well, it's interesting on that topic, something that was timely to this conversation this week is that you guys probably saw yesterday that the American Gaming Association released a study that Nielsen was commissioned, yes. they commissioned for Nielsen, that Nielsen did about what kind of revenue upside there might be for the NFL for legalized gambling, and the number was 2.3 billion. No, no money. <laughs> 2.3 billion, but most of that was indirect revenue coming from increases in fan engagement, media mm -hmm. rights, etc. It's an interesting thing. I mean, this is the this is the great question of the day. Like, how much bigger? Uh, a pie will this be as a result of this? We, no one knows yet, but we're all watching yeah, closely. Right, and I, and I saw that yesterday. I actually tweeted it out also. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it, it's significant because there's no downside to it, right? right? right. It's only going to create more activity and interest. And I think the, the, the big takeaway, at least for me, was the number, right? Is it a small number or a big number? If it starts with, in the billions, it's a big number, mm -hmm. right? right? And it's in their wheelhouse, which is, you know, broadcast TV, mm -hmm. right? So eyeball, more eyeballs, more right. people that have become much more interested. Especially in a time when another conversation we had last night was, you know, NFL ratings being down 9% last year. That minus 9% is actually a, a good thing if you look at every other network being minus 15, minus right. 20%. Right. right. And if you look at the live events, still the top 100 NFL, 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 Academy Awards, right. NFL. Like, like so. three quarters of the yeah. top 100 shows right. or something? Well, yeah. four of the top 10 primetime shows yeah. for NFL. And I showed this in a class last night. And what do you, what's unique about the 10th one? It's, it's, uh, NBC's Sunday night pregame show. It's not even live TV. <laughs> right. It's not even live Shoulder it's programming. It's a pregame yeah, show, right. right? Number 10 show, most popular in prime time. Right. And then I always ask the question to the class, but what is the number one show in America? Number one TV show in America? And everyone gets this wrong. 
right? Because they think of a prime time show, right? It's Fox Game of the Week on Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. It's the number yeah. one TV show. Right. The, the, the one o'clock or four o'clock game, right? Or their Game of the, the their game Oh, of yeah, the whatever. Game. Yeah, their right. whatever time. Right. It is. Game of the week. right. And it's usually a Cowboys game. But yeah. 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 <laughs> no, the part of that argument, by the way, that I think is most interesting to follow is as soon as I saw that, uh, it was an SPJ article? Because yes. I know Neil was quoted mm -hmm. in it. Um, is to me, you got to watch the demo breaks on that because what we've been seeing the last few years is 1834 is dropping faster than the others because of the cord cutting. So it's not a surprise. So my prediction for this season is that the 1834 will decline faster, continue to decline faster than the other right. demos. The question is at what point does that actually affect? the overall ratings right. and the money uh, being invested by advertisers. Yeah. And, and, the, and so far, the answer is not so much. Right. What I think is interesting in that respect is, I think the league is uh, smart about this and that they're, the way they measure is also a little bit different, right? I've had people from the NFL come in to talk about this. And they realize that, right? So, And I think of my son, right, who just graduated college, and he would tell me on a Sunday, we were watching the Giants game, we got bored, and we started playing Madden, mm -hmm. right? And then we never went back, no. right? Um, so, if you're the league, do, do you really care that they turned off Fox and then went to play Madden? Right? Right. right. They're consuming your brand. So long brand. as it's not Fortnite. Right, right, right. <laughs> They're consuming your brand, yeah. right? You are monetizing it. So, that might be the way that this new generation of consumers right, interact, yeah. or this new generation of fans. That's how they interact. Right. You yeah, know, and I think there's a whole generation that, you know, I've talked a lot about this, you know, this idea of kind of just grazing on the content right. from pro sports, yeah, absolutely. still being fans, right. but yeah. not really being the customers of the TV product as right. they expect people to be. Right. And, but you can find alternative monetization. Right. And you're also in that conversation throughout the week and you're talking about whether it's fantasy, whether you're going on fanatics and buying something for your kids. There's a million other ways that you're still engaged you know, whether you're listening to Sirius, NFL Radio, there's a million other ways that you're engaged that are still valuable to the league. It's not like they're going away and suddenly going to play rugby or, right. you know, they're going to watch lacrosse or some of them will go play Fortnite. But, right. you know, I think the core of that is still kind of revolving around, you know, that oblong ball that kind of rolls yeah. around. Yeah, and what's interesting is this, as you guys know, this is the first time um, you can get streaming access on all devices to, regardless of carrier. Right. right, so tonight's actually a pretty historic night for digital streaming. The first night. Because ostensibly passes. everybody with a smartphone or tablet, either through the NFL app or Yahoo Sports, uh, can access the games. Right. So I think a lot of people are anxious to see what this number is mm -hmm. uh, what, or what it turns out to be. So, uh, Grant, in the last couple of minutes, we, we have two questions that we always like to ask people. Um, who do you follow? How do you stay constant on everything that you're doing, sports and non-sports? And then... Since we're at the beginning of a semester, September of 2018, uh, lots of new students, not just here, but around the globe, starting over or starting out. What do you give people, either the students or people going to the workforce, as advice on what they should be doing? So how do you stay constant, and then what do you use to, uh, sure. what kind of advice do you give them? I stay constant. So um, so huge consumer of, <clears throat> of news information and content. I think the average user uh, engages with, I think, three apps, mm -hmm. right? Uh, <clears throat> I always, when I, you know, uh, want to uh, lighten the load on my phone, I always check how many apps I have to swipe out. It's usually in excess of 10. Mm -hmm. Usually it's like 
13 plus. <coughs> so I'm probably uh, above and beyond the, the normal consumer that. Um, the World Cup app is gone now, right? Right, right. But I, I had it when I was, I was avid right, mm-hmm. user of that when it was around. Um, so it really depends. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I do engage with certain whatever is popular. So obviously, it started the NFL season. Um, you know, during the summer, I'm, you know, I'm a big um, you know, Marvel Comics fan, and, and so far as the movies. So anything related to the Avengers and May and June, uh, was it was into. And uh, recently, with uh, Crazy Rich Asians, anything related to <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians, I, I, I've been into. Um, uh, but now with football season, uh, that'll end up uh, uh, dominating. Uh, Sort of my uh, bandwidth uh, going forward. Um, so far, uh, oh, so and, and even and what I, about on the even, business front, though? Yeah, I, so so far, I I, uh, I love catching up on Twitter, but even that, uh, I, I, my attention span varies. I'll follow a certain number of people for a while, then drop them. Follow another set of people right. for a while, drop them. Another set of people for a while, uh, which is great, right? It's like yeah, the curate first time your feed. Yeah. Was, yeah. First time it's like first time we had cable TV and 500 channels and a remote, right? right? <laughs> Just like uh, s- s- speed surfing. Um, it, be- it beats the old story clips we used to get at the NFL. Right. Remember when they <laughs> deliver like those the things days. in the afternoon oh, in the mail cart? But, but by the way, yeah, <laughs> just before you go on, there is someone on our faculty who still takes a printed version of the Sports Business Daily every day and goes through it and marks it. I won't say it's Scott Rossman, but it is. <laughs> anyway. What's well, funny is to say that because I still have this habit. Of, I get the Times every day, hard copy, yep. and I highlight it. That's um, funny. I, I'm, That's a I'm, Frank Golding approach. No, Marshall no. Lowe. So Marshall Lowe. So Marshall and I both commute from Scarsdale. Marshall Lowe, when he was managing editor of um, Money Magazine, I used to see him on the train. He had highlighters and pens for the Wall Street yeah. Journal Times. And I just think, Interesting. And right. ever since then, right. I highlight the New York Times. Right. But it's funny, that's the Jimmy Breslin article about why newspapers will be, always be around is because you never know what you're going to get when you flip over the next page. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. And I, and I just think it's interesting when you see an article in Times, and I will then go with the digital, like the share with students or yep. something, reproduce right. it, and how they've changed the, t- uh, the, the headline. Yeah. Right, or the photos. That's true. Right? That's a good point. Which is great because it says, yes, they finally get it, right? Yeah. So they tested it with some headline and didn't respond. They did an A-B test and B-1. Right. So when I look at it online and share it with students, it's a different headline, right? right? Or a different feature photo. Yeah. Um, and advice, actually, I, I've had a couple actually um, meetings with students today, and I actually have one right now with another student. Um, I, I usually tell them to stay focused, right? So I had a student earlier about... Um, work opportunities in the sports space, right? I would say de- develop a competency in something, right? Yep. To say, look, I do orange widgets really well, right? You want to hire me That's to my do story. orange this widgets, do. right? And this is what my guest speakers did. We, you know, we worked at the lease, you know. That's where they want to hire. People go to something, orange yeah. widgets, right? right? I'll teach you the NFL. I'll teach right. you the NHL. I'll teach mm-hmm. you, you know, Cleveland Cla- Cavaliers, right? I just need someone to really go to orange right. widgets. So, you yeah. know, focus on the orange widgets part. The sports part will come eventually. Yeah, that's actually really good, solid advice. And that's the way we all got our jobs in yeah. the leagues back then. Right. wasn't because we came right. from sports businesses. It was we knew what our vertical areas were. And it's very much uh, when we started, right, it was a lot of who you know, right? To degree, yes. But now they hire a lot of business students, a lot of yeah. people who study this. Uh, which is comforting. Right. And also matching that, you know, that orange widgets thing right. idea with having a full understanding of the business and the, and the challenges and opportunities in those parts of the business. Right. So right now in the digital world and direct-to-consumer 
right. consumer application world, it's a very big challenge with user acquisition and user yeah. retention. So that's right. a great, like if you were coming out of school now, right. you'd probably be doing that at one of these yeah. companies. Right. Not oh, so Sports well, Illustrated. So what we thought, I mean, one of the things I did change in one of my classes, uh, so I teach sports entrepreneurship, and it's the second time I'm teaching it. But it's, it's a follow-up to how I started teaching it at, at Yale last year was, so I bring in an entrepreneur, so a founder of a sports venture. He, he or she gives their founder story, but then he presents the class with a problem, a real problem, mm. that they have three weeks to solve. Oh, that's right? good. Right. Yeah, so I like the, that. The, the entrepreneur likes it because they're like, all right, I'll come and speak. Well, you're going to do some work for me? Because I was going <laughs> to hire consultants anyway, but if your class wants to tackle this thing or do some research for me, I'd love to have them do it. So they come in, present the problem, and then the class likes it, the student likes it, because, oh, yeah, you're a great person, you're smart, you did some wonderful things, but you got problems, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, let me tell you, teach us, teach us your problem, we'll teach you possible solution or research, right? Yeah. Sometimes I say, give me five different things that someone does, well. give me the way that they do it outside the United States, and they'll do it. And the students like it because then it's a little bit meaningful interaction. Mm -hmm. And if they want to then follow it up with a possible discussion with the CEO founder of the sports venture, right. they have something more meaningful. I understand your business. I understand yeah. the problems that you have. I can now work for you and fix that. Yeah. Or when they're asked by another employer, what have right. you done that's interesting? That's yeah. a great story yeah. to tell. Yeah. Um, how can people find you? Well, they can find me on campus. Uh, on campus. <laughs> I, I meant, digi I I meant digitally, Grant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, my Twitter uh, account. Which is? It is uh, Grant J. Sun. Grant J. Sun. And, or, or LinkedIn, okay. or... Um, Lewis and Hall. Lewis and Hall, I'm on campus. Fifth floor. I said I'm full-time. I'm not here all the time, but I am full-time. Yeah, good. All right, well, thanks. That was terrific. Thank great you, conversation. It it's a great story. Um, thanks, Joe. Always. That was a fun one. Great to see you again, Tom. Uh, we can turn the air conditioning again right now. Yeah. Everybody survived now, by the this. Way, well this enough. is a record because out of probably 85 we've done on this campus, not one ambulance or fire truck went You're by. right, unless they've redid the window since yeah. the last time we were here. Anybody, uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening to the latest edition of The Cusp Show. We'll see you all next time.